For the first time in 15 years, the LSU Tigers women's basketball program is headed to the Final Four. Kim Mulkey's team got the job done in Greenville, taking down Utah and then taking down Miami to punch their ticket to the Final Four in Dallas. Woo! 15 years is a long time. Who would have thought she would have done this in year two? By the way, year two. <laughs> Program was one of the worst programs in the country when she took over. Got to the tournament last year, advanced to the second round, and in year two, she's in the final four. And she's just getting started. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. Of course, I'm joined inside the EVCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire Dawson Iserlow. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. We got plenty to tackle on a Monday, as we typically do. Lots of college baseball to get to over the weekend. Everything was turned upside down because of the weather. Some interesting performances, though, by LSU, UL, and McNeese. We'll get to that. We'll also get to the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll also talk about Sam Burns apparently needing the fuel or getting fuel to win a tournament the same way Dawson gets his fuel. So we'll take some time to dive into that. It's like his brother from another mother. It's like looking in the mirror for Dawson over the weekend. And of course... We'll talk about the men's Final Four now being set. What an interesting Final Four that is. I'm going to love it. I'm going to watch it. I know many of you are like, eh. Many of the national folks are going to be like, eh. But I find it to be fascinating that three of the four on the men's side have never been. Have never been. And no top three seeds at all are in the final four think about that for a second san diego state versus florida atlantic neither team had even been to the elite eight (laughs) and now they're in the final four for the first time miami never been to the final four they're in as a five seed and then uconn's just sitting there going yep this is nice we're here to win We'll dive into that, of course. We'll take your phone calls. Love to hear from you. Game hotline is always open. 337 706 LSU got the job done. And you know what's impressive about Kim Mulkey's team? And just not because they were able to win while their coach wore the jacket she wore on Friday. Because that thing was, how do I describe? It was something from the Randy Macho Man collection that she had custom made for her. And she pulled it off. Anytime you can wear something that essentially has pink feathers on it, I don't know what the heck that was. It was something. 
you get kudos from me. But here's the thing about LSU this past weekend. They punched their ticket to the Final Four and did so without having Angel Reese be dominant in either game. She got her points. She got her rebounds. She was a factor. But she was not dominant. She began the Elite Eight game shooting 0 for 9 from the field. The All-American missed double-double was struggling to get her shot to fall over the weekend. But you know who wasn't struggling? Alexis Morris. We've talked about her being able to turn it on, and we talked about her needing to step up and make her shots, and that's what she did early and then clutch against Utah, including being great from the free throw line, and that's what she did again yesterday in the Elite Eight matchup against Miami where she led the Tigers in scoring and sealed the win for them late as she helped them punch their ticket to the Final Four, their first trip in 15 years. The senior guard got the job done. Corey Diaz and I had a, I call, a great discussion on the air about Morris. And he was like, well, she needs to come up clutch more importantly than score early. And I said, well, she needs to do both. And you know what she did? She did both. She was absolutely awesome in these two games. And Kim Mulkey needed her to be that way. That Utah game. Look, both games for the most part, Miami game for kind of three quarters, Utah for all four quarters, they were back and forth games. These were not easy wins by any stretch of the imagination for Kim Mulkey's team. They just weren't. They were not easy victories for her team. Yet they found a way to gut it out. They found a way to get the job done. Once again, this is year number two. And yes, adding pool, adding Reese via the transfer portal makes a huge difference. But having this team come together to be as close as they are, to be as good as they are, is ridiculous. And look, they had their hands full yesterday against Miami. Back and forth, back and forth. Angel Reese could not get her shot to go down. She did contribute by making her free throws. But this was... Run, 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 back and forth, back and forth. LSU was able to lead 26 to 20 at halftime. And as I mentioned before, Reese struggled with her shot. She was 0 for 9 from the field, but she did have seven points on free throws and did have eight rebounds. She was still able to impact the game. Even with an off night, even with Miami defending her well, obviously both Utah and Miami had the mindset coming into the ball games, we're going to try to slow down and frustrate Angel Reese. They picked their poison. They picked wrong. Because it didn't matter. Because Alexis Moore stepped up. That's what she did. Morris, meanwhile, in the first half, led the Tigers with 10 points. She scored 10 of their first 26 points. Shooting percentages were not great in this game in the low 30s. Some of that was to 
to be credited towards each team's defense. Some of it had to be contributed to the fact that, well, they just struggled offensively. They maintained the lead in the third quarter, pushed it up to 11 after Morris hit a jump shot with 436 left to go in the third. They led 38-27 to over Miami at the end of the break. Credit Miami, they tried to make a little bit of a run there in the fourth. An 8-0 run. And cut the lead down to 43-35 with about four minutes to go. But LSU answered. Morris hit a layup, and then Reese hit a jumper. And they were able to hold them off and punch their ticket to the Final Four. First time in 15 years, the Tigers advanced to the Final Four. Remember, they had that great run where they went five straight years and did so with three different coaches, if you will remember. Sue's health declined. Pokey was served as interim coach. Then Pokey became full-time coach. Then Pokey lost her job as full-time coach. But 2004 through 2008, the Tigers went to the Final Four every single year. Neither team was very efficient shooting the three ball in this game. Miami was 0 for 15 from three-point range. LSU wasn't much better. They were 1 for 12. The two teams combined to shoot 8.3% from the field. It was not pretty basketball. Yeah, There were stretches in this game that it was ugly basketball. But you know what matters? Do you know what anyone's going to remember in years to come? They're going to remember that the Tigers made it to the Final Four. The banner's going to go inside the PMAC to the other ones right there beside it. There you go. That's all that matters. LSU improves to 32-2 on the season. They will take on either Virginia Tech or Ohio State. How interesting would that be? The team that eliminated them from the NCAA tournament a year ago, the Buckeyes, is somebody they could face on Friday night in Dallas. The rest of the Final Four will be set today, or tonight rather. Virginia Tech, the one seed, takes on Ohio State, and then South Carolina and Maryland face off in the other match. Final four, LSU. You thought there was a chance that this team could make a run. We talked about, look, making it to the Sweet 16 was a great a great accomplishment. If they got to the Elite Eight, that would be a great accomplishment because they're so far ahead of schedule. And Kim did what she always does, right? We talked about that too, remember? Remember D'Lo when Kim Mulkey was telling us, everyone's talking about us going to the Final Four. I just... You know, if we get to the Sweet 16, if we make it one round, you know, further than we did last year, that's that's a success. I don't know if this team can make it to the Final Four. Yeah. She knew exactly what she was doing. She knew exactly what her team needed to hear because she's a great coach, a legendary coach. And now she has her team two wins away from a national championship, something neither the men nor the women have ever done. During that great run for the LSU women's basketball team, they never got past the Final Four. 
They made it to the Final Four four straight years, had Simone Augustus, Sylvia Fowles. Heck, we got Simone's statue outside the PMAC right now. They were great. Got to the Final Four, couldn't get past the Final Four. Men's team couldn't do that either. Can they do it? Virginia Tech or Ohio State stands in their way to get to the championship game. We'll see. D'Lo, your thoughts about what Kim's team was able to do over the weekend, winning a really tight game on Friday against Utah, who, let's be fair, if the girl makes her free throws, we're not having this conversation because she had a chance to win the game, and she missed both of them, and one of them really poorly, and she's like a 72% free throw shooter. Oh, it's brutal for the Utes. But they survive Utah. They survive Miami. They're heading to Dallas for the Final Four, bud. Yeah, yesterday's game's not going to be uh, hung in the archives of the most beautiful basketball games that's ever taken place nope. um, by any stretch. It was ugly <laughs> for a lot of the – I mean, on both sides, really. And, and that's interesting, too. You, you get into that moment. Did nerves play a factor? Maybe. But both teams just weren't sharp offensively. And then how much of that do you credit to defense? And then, you know, Kim's making comments about – too bouncy of balls. I don't know if the inflation was correct on the uh, PSI, but that was they that changed was the basketballs about. right yeah, at all know. the sites. I think something strange there. But For the um, Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight. I'm like, mm. it didn't seem to bother Caitlin Clark though. But no, no. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, this is what you have to do, right? They they got a favorable draw. They took advantage of it. They had a couple of breaks fall their way throughout the tournament. They didn't let those, you know, um, you know, they didn't slip up when they were playing teams that they should have beaten. Utah was maybe the only team they played that was that you could make an argument was better than them, but they played better on that day, and now they're in the Final Four. And, you know, the way the draw comes out, they're going to play Iowa, and, you know, I think Iowa's good, but I think Iowa can be beaten. They are kind of a, you know, we talk about LSU relying too much on Angel Reese sometimes. Well, they rely solely on Caitlin Clark. So no one's been able to stop her yet. She had one of the most historic performances in all of women's college basketball history yesterday, but if you put together a plan to defend her, you're going to have a good chance. So, But Iowa would play the winner of South Carolina-Maryland on that oh, side of the bracket. Oh, is that on that side? That's a shame. Iowa-South Carolina All would right. be fascinating to me. Okay, so I thought the two games that were on the same day. So that's that's bad prep on my part. What a way to start on a Monday. <laughs> no, Well, I, I would assume that they're going to play on this side of the bracket. It would be no, yeah, Greenville right. no, 2 right. playing Seattle 3 right. regional winner. So, yeah, Vodtech-Ohio State today. That's tonight. That's 8 o'clock. So we're not, we're not going to know who LSU plays until we wake up tomorrow morning. Right. Because that game's going to be the late game. South Carolina takes on Maryland. That's going to be at 6 o'clock. That's going to determine who places faces Iowa. Who, you're right, Caitlin Clark is, is special. So you're going to have some star power in the Final Four for sure. What's the expectation for LSU, right? The the best player in the tournaments is going to be on the other side of the bracket. The best team in the country is going to be on the other side of the bracket if South Carolina wins tonight, right? So the defending champs and the team that roughed you up a little bit during the regular season, they're going to be on the other side of the bracket. Caitlin Clark making history when she plays every time she steps onto the, the floor. She's going to be on the other side of the bracket too. And it's not to say that you should pencil LSU in to the championship game, but I like their chances. And man, if they get to play Ohio State, whew, 
could be something special. Well, it is something special. Get to the final four in year number two of the Kim Mulkey era. We got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll hear from Kim Mulkey. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You know why they say are saying that. They believe that. But we haven't. And I'll answer your question in a minute. We have morning devotion. We have devotion every Sunday when we play. And in the SEC, we play a lot of Sunday games. So we have two people that do our devotions for us. One is Shaida. Shaida is our radio person who also used to play basketball at Duke. And she was an assistant on the previous staff at LSU. She's remarkable, a woman of faith. And also our president's wife, Dr. Kim, Dr. Bill Tate's wife, Kim Cash Tate. And um, those two women did our devotion this morning, and it was so touching, so good. And that was part of what Kim uh, Tate was telling them. So when you do, you, you do things, you say, God did. And these two kids have some history behind them. And I remember when I took those transfers, a lot of my coaching friends, man, you got a locker room full of personalities. How are you going to handle that? And I looked at them and I said, do you know me very well? Bring them on. Um, what they need is tough love. What they need is to be held accountable. What they need is a real woman. And, um, boy, have they had a remarkable. Kim Mulkey, LSU women's coach, talking about a remarkable year. You knew that she was going to make an impact immediately. Anyone that's ever interviewed Kim, has dealt with Kim over the years, knows that. She is one of the greatest basketball minds the state's ever produced. Played for national championships, won national championships at a player at Louisiana Tech. Was a great assistant coach for a long time at Tech. Went to Baylor, turned it into a perennial national powerhouse, winning multiple national titles. And in year number two, the flamboyant, hard-nosed, old-school coach, fiery personality, has the LSU women's basketball program back into the Final Four. Year two. Year two. She doesn't even have the roster she wants yet. Think about that for a second. She doesn't even have the roster she wants yet. That's still coming. <laughs> that's that's The roster's still a work in progress. It's ridiculous. But she's old school, man. She buys in. She's hard on those kids. You heard her say it. 
They needed a woman. Right? They need to be held accountable. She's not holding their hands. She's not sugarcoating things. That ain't Kim. Kim's not built that way. Kim's going to tell it exactly how it is when exactly she feels the need to say it. And you're either going to like it or you're not. But she's still going to say it. And players, in particular, competitors respond to her. They always have. Always have. What about Alexis Morris? We talked about her performance over the weekend. Angel Reese was taken off her game offensively. She wasn't dominant. She wasn't putting up 28, 30 points for the Tigers in these two games. She had to work for every point she got. Well, Alexis Morris helped pick up the slack, didn't she? Including leading the Tigers last night in scoring, coming up clutch in the Utah game as well. And Kim Mulkey gave her thoughts about her star point guard's performance. Well, she'll tell you it wasn't a good performance. She'll tell you she complained every time out about too much air in the balls. Isn't that funny? But in all seriousness, we need to check those balls out because it's not even fun for me to watch the men play. I mean, knockdown shots is normal for the men, and they're just rattling all over the rim. Um, And it's happening to both teams, so it's not like one team has an advantage. But I know Alexis Morris's ball handling skills, and she'd bring the ball up, and all of a sudden you see that thing just jump off the floor. She had to be, when it got down five minutes or less, 12, 14-point game, 13, whatever it was, you look at someone that has had that much experience in college and you tell them this is where point guards have to lead and control the flow of the game. They're going to press. They're going to take chances and trap you. Take care of the ball. And um, it makes you more comfortable knowing that you have – an older player out there with the ball in her hands. She is the veteran of the team. She's also the one that Kim trust, right? Trust. And even when Alexis's shot wasn't falling in the first two rounds, right? She only scored six points against Hawaii that came late. She only scored 11 against Michigan. That also came late. And that was inside the PMAC. Kim still believed. When your coach has got your back, even when you're struggling, and is still giving you the green light to get the job done, give you any idea what that feels like? You have any idea what that feels like? No, I don't. I. I don't because I was never athletically gifted enough to have faith from a coach. But I've been mentored in my career. You know, I was given the green light on 2-0 my junior and senior year in the lineup. That was a good feeling. Maybe you. maybe that's a similar. Just trying to give you something comparison-based because you, you put me on the spot there. But I've been mentored in my career. And even when I screwed up, they still believed in me and still had faith in me and still pushed me to be great. It matters. It matters. And for Alexis Morris, she went through the years that LSU was awful, right? She had to deal with all that. And now to have a chance to end her career in Dallas, Texas, 
playing in the Final Four, her first Final Four, what an amazing feeling that is for her. Everything, my journey, um, everything I've been through with this sport, I love this game. Um, I'm just happy to, to be able to do it with Coach Moki and my teammates and for this program and the people who came before us. I said it, and it's like I kind of just spoke it into existence, right? God did. This Final Four is the type of run, no matter what happens in Dallas this coming weekend, this changes the the entire program now. This validates everything. This They're a year ahead of schedule. Now they're in the Final Four. Alexis Morris gets a Final Four. Kim gets to take another team to a Final Four. Angel Reese. And here's the thing. Now, if Kim Mulkey wasn't a recruiting master to begin with, and she was masterful in the portal this last year, now they get to show the rest of the college basketball world that LSU's here. Oh, yeah, we're here. Oh, yeah, we're in the Final Four. That matters. That seriously matters. And Mulkey spoke about what this run to the Final Four means to her and her program. Chess, I just wanted to come back to the state of Louisiana and come home. Uh, my mom lives 40 minutes away. My son flew in here a minute we got, uh, in the third quarter trying to get him here. He finished spring training with the St. Louis Cardinals. Mackenzie, my daughter's been on my staff for years, played for me, my grandchildren, my son-in-law, Clay. That's what it means to me at the age I am now. But what really makes me smile is not cutting that net down, is looking around out there at all those LSU people, looking at that team I get to coach, experience it for the first time. This is the first time any of them have ever been to a Final Four, unless Lex went during her journey, I can't remember, but none of the others have been. And that's what it means to me. Get to go to Dallas now, Kim Mulkey's team. They await the winner of Virginia Tech, Ohio State. That game will be the late game tonight. South Carolina, Maryland is the other game. That's the other side of the bracket. And that'll set the women's final four. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Dawson and I will look at the men's final four. It is set. It is one of the more intriguing final fours I've ever witnessed. We'll discuss it and look ahead to it next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the men's final four is now set. And it's what everyone predicted. <laughs> and I love it. I love the absolute chaos that was this season in college basketball. Because this is a the, the perfect epitome of what the season was about. There was not a great dominant team this year. There just wasn't. We had multiple teams up at number one. 
every team was flawed, whether it was Houston or Alabama or whoever it was. You know, Coach K was retired. North Carolina was a dumpster fire. Villanova struggled without Jay Wright. And we have a Final Four now that absolutely no one anticipated. And you're going to hear a lot of people complain about the Final Four. And I don't have time for them. There's going to be a slew of people that are going to complain about the Final Four. Who wants to watch Florida Atlantic take on San Diego State? Me. Who wants to watch UConn take on Miami? Me. Look, if you love college basketball, you want to watch it. It's that simple. It's that simple, guys. It's not hard. It's really not. It's not hard. Here's the other thing that I find interesting. This is going to be like a historic Final Four. First time since 1970, which predates your boy, with three teams making their first appearance in the Final Four. San Diego State and Florida Atlantic had never been to the Elite Eight, much less the Final Four. Here they are. And Miami finally pushes through and gets to their first Final Four. So, three first-time teams in the Final Four for the first time since 1970. And it's a stark difference than what we had last year. Remember last year, I was down in New Orleans. We had two really good games. We had Kansas, Villanova facing off two Blue Bloods. And the other one was two of the bluest Blue Bloods of all time. North Carolina, Duke meeting in the Final Four for the first time ever. Coach K's last game. Well, last year... Combined all-time NCAA tournament win totals of last year's Final Four teams was 437. Combined all-time NCAA tournament wins of this year's Final Four teams is 92. This is what makes the bracket great. And if you take UConn out of that, it's probably... that's oh, They got half of them, I'd imagine. I, yes, yes. You take UConn out of that scenario. Yeah, it's even it's even more so, right? And Chris Vanini tweeted out something, and I liked it. And Dawson and I are in agreement here. If your first reaction to this Final Four is, quote, nobody is going to watch these teams, end quote, you are a dork. You kind of 63 of those wins, by the way. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> no, so... And, and, and look, I've argued UConn's a blue blood, a modern blue blood. So, yeah, yes. You, you, yeah, but so... I have a few thoughts, um, and I saw this going around on Twitter from multiple sources, so I don't have one person to credit to because I saw it a few different places, but the idea, uh, there's a lot of people that have nothing to do with the TV ratings business that are really worried about the TV ratings, so they're like, well, nobody's going to watch that. The ratings going to be terrible. What do you mean? Like, first of all, that doesn't affect you in any way, so why do you care so much? Um, also, it's kind of a myth, I think, because we saw... The St. Peter's games got as good or better ratings than almost any other games in the tournament. And people are like, well, nobody tunes in when it's a team like that. There's like this this thought process that people have. They're like, well, the, the executives aren't going to like that. And I guess part of it's because sometimes CBS has gone out and said some things like, oh, yeah, it'd be better for us if, or whoever it is, has come out and said it'd be better for us if it was Duke and North Carolina. But There are people in the leadership positions with CBS Sports that spend all the money that they spend to get the NCAA tournament. 
that are cringing right now. That is fair. That is an accurate statement to make. Yeah, but for the most part. But not all of them, right? There's some of them that are going to be short-sighted. They're like, oh, my God, we don't have a Kansas or a Duke or North Carolina or, you know, Kentucky or we don't. uh, It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Well, and it just goes to the point. I mean, last year, what did you heard? Wow, what a what a boring Final Four. All the Blue Bloods, it's always, you know, <laughs> yes. North Carolina's an eight seed, and they're still in the Final Four. It's just, this is, it's so lame. Why do we even play the whole season? And then you get this, where you get all these, and they're like, well, this is lame. It's a bunch of teams nobody cares about. Well, <laughs> yes. that, okay. Yes. I mean. You can't have it both ways. You can't complain last right. year. Or, here's the other point. How much complaining has been done, and shout out to our guy Darren for bringing this up, beating me to the punch. How much complaining have we heard about college football being the same teams and the same dominant dynasty teams from the big conference year in, year out? And and, and the phone lines blow up all the time. Well, it, they need to expand the playoffs. This needs to be better. we got to have more than just Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson into the mix. we got to have other teams. Okay. Well, basketball gives you this. The tournament gives you this. Florida Atlantic had never won an NCAA tournament game before this year. And never won a game in the tournament. FAU San Diego State's Final Four matchup will be just the second ever between non-major conference opponents, the other one being 2011 Butler against VCU. And Florida Atlantic had never won a tournament game. San Diego State and Florida Atlantic had never been to the Elite Eight, much less the Final Four. That's on one side of the bracket, one semifinal. The other semifinal is going to be UConn, who somehow has gone under the radar this year. And that's because they've had a couple down years. But a program that is consistently better than, say, Kentucky is in. But UConn's never moved the needle. They never have. They never have. Even when they're winning championships, they don't move the needle. From national, they're like, oh, well, it's UConn. The fact that you can get kids to come and play in stores, Connecticut, is an accomplishment in itself. But they're playing, and you know what? They're facing off against a guy. By the way, interesting thing, the head coach of Miami used to be the head coach at George Mason when they went to the Final Four, and you know who they beat in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four all those years ago? UConn. So there's great stories and I know the gut reaction, the, 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 the instinct is no one's going to watch this or there'll be plenty of tickets to buy and all this other stuff. It's great theater. It's yeah, I, like, yeah, how really, could you not be down for this? I don't even have time for the argument like on the other side. I don't, I, if you want your 30-team Super League where you'd see Villanova and Kansas and North Carolina and Duke in the Final Four every single year, you can have that. I really wouldn't be all that interested in it. Like, it's the same thing that I don't – last year with the NBA Finals and in previous years when you had, you know, Phoenix and Milwaukee, let's say, matching up. Like, if you don't get the same enjoyment out of the event because the team doesn't have Lakers on their shirts, they have a different team name, even though the players are obviously better than the players on the Lakers because they, you know, made it to that point and you can't enjoy it because of that, then I don't have anything for you. Like, I don't know what to say. But – the fact that we do that, and I don't know why we do it, and I guess it's, yeah, those those franchises have built up brand equity, and that makes sense, and if, you know, the pinstripes move the needle and stuff like that, but if you don't get the same enjoyment out of watching it because the team has something else written on their jerseys and they're from a different city, then I don't I don't know. I mean, that's just like, in, to me, this is this is outstanding. Florida Atlantic was underseeded to begin with. Oh. Um, yeah, they caught a couple breaks along the way. Everybody does when they get to this point, unless you're a top overall seed, but guess what? All those are gone. One, two, and three seeds are gone. So 
Florida Atlantic's a great team. San Diego State's been a team that's been trying to break through for years. They had a 30-win team the year of COVID that was canceled. They were going to be a really dangerous tournament team. They got that taken from them, so it's great to kind of see their redemption story here with a couple of guys still left on that from that roster. Uh, Miami, again, is a team in the ACC. The ACC was kind of much maligned this year as having a down year. Um, they had some questions in the first round with Norchad O'Meara, even if he was going to be available or not. Yeah. He ends up playing and playing well throughout this tournament. Um, and then UConn, of course, kind of the team that was really hot at the beginning of the season. Went through a bit of a lull in Big East play, but kind of figured things out towards the end. And and they're kind of the lone remaining uh, top-ranked team. Now, again, the Ken Palm rankings and things like that had them higher than their seed line was as well. So some people aren't as surprised to see them here. So I just I think it's an intriguing Final Four for all kinds of different reasons. And um, again, if you want to find a reason not to be interested in something like this, then you will find one. But I don't really think it's uh, any sort of validity to it. Miami's run to the Final Four. They beat number 12 seed Drake, number 4 Indiana, number 1 Houston, number 2 Texas. That's a battle-tested team. Oh, yeah. That game against UConn is going to be absolute filth. Miami-UConn is going to be absolutely filth. Can't wait for that. By the way, here's another interesting little nugget. And this is we don't have time to dive into this, but we're going to plant the seed today and we'll dive into it later in the week when we get closer to the Final Four weekend. This Final Four doesn't feature a single consensus top 30 recruit per RSCI. The highest rated prospect... Is Donovan Klingland number 37 for UConn? Samson Johnson was 47. Jordan Hawkins was 50. All those played for UConn. Andre Jackson, 50 for UConn. And Harlan Beverly for Miami was 56. Just saying. And how about this for the for the logic of, oh, these teams got breaks? Because, you know, Florida Atlantic did catch a break playing FDU instead of Purdue. San Diego State beat them number one over, over all right. seed Alabama and was clearly the better team in that game. That's And so every team in the Final Four, with the exception of the quote-unquote team that we weren't surprised to see there, is, which is UConn, every other team beat at least two teams seated higher than them in this tournament. Correct. Um, and a couple of them beat three, as in uh, Florida Atlantic, of course, beat Memphis, who was an eight. Tennessee, who was a four, and Kansas State, who was a three. So um, just in, in you know impressive runs, and I think, you know, again, the banners aren't going to say we got a break when FDU beat Purdue. The banners just going to say Final Four. So you know, <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to for me. Best conference in college basketball doesn't have a Final Four team. Big 12 beat up on each, on each other. Talked about that coming in. Would that be a factor? And you, you, you got to wonder now at this point. Kansas went down before we thought they would, and yeah, it, maybe that was a thing. We, we'll I never man, know. It looked, it looked like Texas was going to win that game against Miami, and they kind of let that one get away from them a little bit. They did. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll talk a little Pels and unveil our poll question of the day. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. 
Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, we were down. We were we were di- disappointed in our performance, um, but we had some honest discussions. Uh, you go back to go back home and look in the mirror and figure out what we can do better individually, and then collectively bring it to the group, and just work at it. Continue to work at it, and um, that's what we're doing right now. Pelicans head coach Willie Green, after his team won their fourth straight game. Over the weekend, Pelicans are now 37 and 37. And because the Western Conference is absolutely bonkers, they've jumped all the way up now to the eight line in the standings with less tied you know, for seven, actually. Tied for seventh, actually. Thank you, D But they're only a half game up on the Lakers and the Thunder. They're only a half game behind the Timberwolves and only a full game behind the Golden State yeah, Warriors. It's so it's not tied for seven. How many times can I be wrong in one hour? <laughs> The Timberwolves <laughs> won a game. Okay. Uh, they could credit Utah for failing and Kyrie Irving blowing up the Mavericks. Yeah, well, that, the funny thing, again, yeah, like we did, we spend all this time, you know, doom and gloom, and then they play the way they played, and then the rest of the Western Conference, they could be the four seed. Like, I mean, it's it's crazy. They the could Western be, Conference They could be anywhere from four to 11. Bananas. So our poll question of the day. Do you think the Pelicans are now back on track to make a playoff run? Yes, no, or your other option, just ready for baseball. Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. Hour number one in the books, hour number two coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. For the first time in 15 years, the LSU women's basketball team is back in the NCAA Final Four. Had their hands full in a tight game against Utah on Friday. Alexis Morris stepped up in a big way. Late clutch shots, clutch free throws. They had a back and forth affair against Miami. And in both of those games on Friday and Sunday, Angel Reese was not dominant. Both Utah and Miami did a nice job defending her, making her work for every single shot she had. Now, her shot was a little bit off, and we can have a conversation about it seems like the basketballs are a little too inflated because we've seen it also in the men's game. So I don't know why the NCAA would be like, hey, let's put extra air in the balls. Well, you know what did happen that now that I, you know, I don't mean to interject here, but I do that often without asking. So there was a ton of what they call wedgies early in the tournament did you like a record number where the ball gets wedged between the bat you know and it's a yes. jump ball essentially so what maybe it was an overreaction to that and they said man we're having too many of these you know rare situations let's just overinflate these basketballs could be could have been that's it, my theory it could be in a reaction but people did notice just not Kim Mulkey but people did notice but Reese was not her dominant self but Alexis Morris made sure to step up 
for the Tigers. Led him in scoring last night as they beat Miami and punched their ticket to the NCAA Final Four. First time they'll be in the Final Four since they went to five straight, last one being in 2008. Year two. This is year two. Lots of big turnarounds happening across the basin in Baton Rouge, isn't there? The football program, kind of a dumpster fire. Off the field scandal. On the field product was, let's be honest, piss poor. Brian Kelly comes in and is able to turn them around in year one to win 10 games, the SEC West. Beat Auburn, beat Florida, beat Alabama, and win a bowl game. Kim Mulkey, year number two. She's going to the Final Four. Jay Johnson, year number two. Tigers are the number one ranked team in the country and have huge aspirations of not only making it to Omaha for the College World Series, but winning the whole thing. We expect LSU to be a top 15 team to start the season in football, too, for year number two for Brian Kelly. See what happens when you get the right coaches? It's just amazing how that works. It's amazing how that works. Coaching matters. Always has. Always will. The stars, the athletes, yes. But you got to have the right coaches. And you know what? Mulkey, as fiery and old school as she is, you know what You know what else she is? Hyper-organized. She knows what she wants. She knows how to get what she wants. And she knows how to delegate responsibilities to other people. Have you seen her bench, by the way? Have you ever seen a women's basketball program have more assistant coaches or volunteer coaches? I mean, Kim knows how to run the machine, guys. This is what she does. I mean, when you see them live in person, you go, are there more assistant coaches than there are players on the roster? But she knows what she's doing. Year number two. They're in the final four. (laughs) Like, for real? For real? And they're only going to get better. The recruiting class coming in is top notch. You know she's going to hit the portal again. She's going to lose Alexis Morris off of this team because she's going to graduate. But Angel Reese is going to come back for another year. And you're going to add a recruiting class. And you're going to go out and even get more recruits. Because now, what Kim's done in a very short amount of time, she was able to get... Remember, Angel Reese was an All-American freshman at Maryland and left that program. By the way, the Lady Terps are playing for a spot on the Final Four today. So she left a good program where she earned freshman All-American honors to come play at LSU. A run to the Final Four is just now going to even give Kim even more ammunition. She didn't really need it because she's a great recruiter. I mean, she was able to turn Baylor into a national powerhouse by recruiting the best kids in the country. Think about that. Baylor had no history. There was nothing. And now she's quickly turned around LSU. Phenomenal turnaround by Coach Kim Mulkey. And those players buy in, and they love playing for her. And when she's barking at them, you know the, the, the sign of a great team, the sign of a team where the coach and the players are on the same page, is when the coach is angry, 
The coach is fired up. The coach is wanting to chew you a little bit for not doing something the right way. And you stand there and you just nod your head and you go, yeah, coach, you're right. Those are some of the best athletes on the planet that play for Kim Mulkey. And they take her coaching. And yet here they are now going to the Final Four. You see it all the time. You see Saban do it all the time over in Alabama. This notion that you can't be tough-nosed coaching anymore, I don't buy into. Because you're seeing it happen right there at LSU. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Reynolds, who's been patiently waiting. Brother, good morning. It's been too long, my friend. How was your weekend, bud? Yeah, it was wonderful. Got to spend time with my grandson. Uh, it was wonderful. That's always a great time to get to spend time with the family. I didn't, uh, I'm not old enough to have grandchildren yet, but I got to spend time just with the wife and the little one this weekend. We just stayed at home, didn't do too much, just spent some quality family time, brother. It's always a blessing. Oh, yeah. I was able to, I uh, went to the farmer's market and did my thing and got back home. And my grandson, grandson came to the house and we had him for the whole weekend and, you know, uh, just spent time with him, me and my wife and him. And, it was it was wonderful because I mean they live in Baton Rouge so we don't get to see them as much as uh, we'd like to but you know what it's always glorious when you get to see your first uh, grandbaby and I have another one on the way. Oh, congratulations, brother! I, I tell you what, uh, I, I'm I'm really happy for uh, LSU making the Final Four. Um, I think they they kind of silence a lot of the naysayers, but. How great would it be for LSU and South Carolina to meet up again? Oh, man. I don't think it would be the same as the first time. I think it would be a rumble in the jungle. I think it would be crazy. Um, I tell you what, on the men's side, look out for Miami. I watched that game yesterday. And out of the, uh, uh, the second half, I think Texas was up like 15. I think they got up to 18 at one point. But all of a sudden, you start shift to where Miami had more energy. They were like mm-hmm. mosquitoes, just just going around and just just it, it was, they were relentless. And then Texas started forcing up some threes. They started forcing up shots, shooting bricks. You saw them get really tight. The next thing you know, it's like Miami started seeing blood in the water, and then they just took off. They just took and over. You could see it. You can see it before they even took. Uh, 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 got past them in the score. So I, Miami is, I, I think, even though UConn is really good, but, man, Miami is something to watch. They're just relentless. They're absolutely relentless. You're right, Reynolds. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day, bud. You have a blessed one. I think Miami's been the most tested team of the bunch based on their path of the seeds they've had to take down to get there. Because remember, go back, Miami was a trendy pick to lose the 5-12 matchup. Yeah, and, and a lot of that, remember, had to do with the health questions with Norchad O'Meara. And whether that was a concerted effort not to kind of let out that he was healthy or not, um, regardless, I think it worked out for Miami. Now, you... You threw out earlier, you know, the idea, uh, last week rather, the idea of Florida Atlantic being in the Final Four and that kind of messing with me as a Florida State, you know, alum. 
Um, you get two other Florida teams. Yeah, look, Florida Atlantic's the least of my worries. Miami being there isn't exactly ideal from a Florida State perspective. <laughs> um, but Florida State did beat Miami on the road this year in, honestly, the worst year Florida State basketball's had in more than a decade. They beat them on an absolute half-court buzzer beater from Matthew Cleveland uh, in a game that Florida State was down by like 20 points in. So we do have that to kind of put in the cap, you there know, you if Miami's able. But I would, uh, you know, rooting, you know, as a media member, maybe I shouldn't have rooting interests. Well, I, I mean, I still do, of course. I'm a fan of the schools. Uh, I would take what, the, the field over Miami as a preference um, in this Final Four. I'll take Now, the, Miami, I think, has been tested the most based on their path. But they're facing a UConn team right, that right. has destroyed everyone they faced. And so what's going to give? The team that's been tested and has had to rally? Or a team that beat Iona by 24 points, beat St. Mary's by 15, beat Arkansas by 23, and then I was Rally. stunned. They absolutely curb-stomped Gonzaga by 28 points in the Elite Eight to punch their ticket to the Final Four. A year where it's wide open and Gonzaga has it completely to themselves. Hey, guys, it's right here on a silver platter. All the big blue bloods are gone. There's chaos everywhere. You have a great path. And Gonzaga runs into a buzzsaw in UConn, and UConn was like, I, I, I shared it on social media. I shared the little gif of the Michael Jordan from The Last Dance, and I, and I took that personal. Like, you know, everyone's talking about Gonzaga making a run, and UConn's like, ah, we took that personal. Like, they just went out there and crushed them. Just yeah. crushed them. Yeah, I, I did have something kind of planned out to talk here, so I guess I can use this, this minute to do it. Um, there was a lot of conversation about the foul trouble issue because uh, Drew Timmy goes into foul trouble early on and doesn't really play much of a factor in that game. Now, as it turns out, it looks like it wouldn't have mattered all that much because I don't know if Drew Timmy's making the difference in a 28-point loss. But um, I did see kind of the chatter talking about, you know, it's not good for college basketball when your best players aren't playing because of foul trouble, and a couple of them were ticky-tack foul calls. Um, so I, I don't know. I see both sides of this. Um, I do think I like the fact that players have to be mindful of foul trouble in games, and I do like the strategy it presents. But... Um, I do think it's unfair that certain games are officiated tighter than others, and that then impacts players' availability. So, the, Also, the thing that came out of the weekend, to your point, the end of the San Diego State-Creighton game. That one as well. Right now, technically... It's a foul. That was a foul. But right? in that moment, you'd like to see that probably go... Just but like you the didn't Super Bowl, call right? it. But you didn't call it the rest of the game. When it's very similar to the Super Bowl call. Correct. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I so think... So I get it. I, I, I get the frustration... Um, if you're a Creighton fan, you feel like you got hosed right. a little bit there. It was a foul, but the crew wasn't calling that earlier in the game. So why are you calling yeah. it late? No, I agree. You got to be and, consistent. And I think in that in that moment, you you probably now. But the thing is, if you don't call that, then San Diego State's saying they got hosed today. That's just one of those calls. It was right there. It was that's correct. It was, it was in the middle. But I would I would like to see the foul uh, trouble thing kind of uh, addressed of course in the NBA it's six fouls and you don't you know you hardly ever hear about foul trouble in the NBA right I mean a player will foul out every once in a while late in a game but not often it's not a situation if a guy gets two fouls early in the game they're not panicking right yeah maybe he'll go sit for a few minutes to not pick up a third but it's not like college basketball where you'll have guys sitting you know 10 12 minutes if they pick up two fouls in early Correct. on so the couple of ideas, uh, I think adding a sixth foul is the easiest fix. Uh, if a player you know, now has to have six fouls for disqualification, I think that, that makes sense. I certainly think, and one thing that I've always been struggled with why it isn't a thing, if the game goes to overtime, I think a player should be allowed a sixth foul. If someone fouls out in regulation and the game goes to overtime, 
Well, that's you have five fouls for the regulated amount of game that was supposed to take place. Now that we're in overtime, I think the player should be granted a sixth foul no matter what. Um, the other idea I had was maybe offensive fouls not counting towards a player's personal foul count um, because we do see so many charges called in college basketball. Um, so potentially the idea of a, that counting as a team foul, and of course it's a turnover and the other team gets possession, but that doesn't go against Drew Timmy's personal foul count for disqualification. So a few ideas I had, I, I would be interested to see if they address this at some point. And um, because, yeah, I do think it's, it's, it's disappointing when, when, you know, one of the best players on your team goes out because he picks up a couple of maybe bad foul calls early in the game. See, you don't get that type of inside analysis about officiating from Florida Atlantic or Miami grads. You just don't. You only get that from Florida State grads, and that's what D'Lo is. See? There you go, bud. Time to shine. Hour number two. Poll question of the day. Do you think the Pelicans are now back on track to make a playoff run? 45% of you say no. 29% say I'm just ready for baseball. 26% of you say yes. Who'd have forever share to give? Uh, No question about it. I'm ready to get hurt again. Martin says, doesn't matter to me. It's WrestleMania weekend this weekend for all the wrestling fanatics, and something tells me this year's WrestleMania will be epic. Let's go. JPK, the OD, says, no, no, no. Same thing every year. Profound mediocrity rewarded by the mother of all participation trophies, the play-in tournament. Then an embarrassing early exit at the hands of the number one seed. Just wait till next year. Zion will be healthy. This team will gel. Sound familiar? People are very upset. Ralph says, I'm pelled out, man. This season has made me feel like I was trapped in Hitchcock's The Birds. Thankfully, most of the birds couldn't fly or lacked the motivation to attack. Hart says, guess I'll be the one to keep hope and positivity alive other than B.I. re-injuring himself. God forbid. He's too much in his bag right now for them not to at least make it. There was a long stretch there where they were playing uninspired, and I don't know why, but it seems to have been corrected. Darren says, nah, nah, man, nah, nah, nah. There'll be none of that, nah. Don says, at this point, who cares? Right back to where they were last year. It's been a long season. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Go Strohs. And then John Paul Cajun Daddy is bringing us some interesting. Also, did you see this over the weekend? Smith runs for 217 yards and three touchdowns. That's the former practice squad running back for the Saints, who's now tearing up the XFL like rushing for 200 yards in games. (laughs) He also said, the West is crazy from spot 11 to spot 7 in just three games. It wouldn't surprise me if they even moved up or out of the play-in tourney, but it also would not surprise me if they did not even make it to the postseason. That's where the Western Conference stands right now. It's absolutely bananas. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll continue to share them throughout today's show. Right now, those time for us to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll talk a little college baseball. That's next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter. Isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Special day, special performance for him. I'm really proud of him. Um, he's persevered through some mostly injury adversity, and, um, and we're not the same team right now without him. So very thankful for his contribution and leadership uh, and play. I mean, he, I think he's played airless at second base, yeah. and offensively it's just big hit after big hit after big hit, or he's setting the table for those other guys. And um, really, really pleased with Gavin. That's LSU skipper Jay Johnson talking about Gavin Dugas. Uh, uh, Gavin had himself quite the weekend. (laughs) Uh, He he did. It was an interesting weekend because of the storm system, adjusting the times for everything. But Dugas came up in a big way with a two-run home run in the fourth inning of yesterday's 14-5 win, the rubber match in the weekend series against number three-ranked Arkansas. This is a top three battle. Remember, the Razorbacks are a team that went to the College World Series a year ago. Arkansas takes the first game that got moved up from 7 o'clock to noon on Friday, 9-3. to three. The bullpen for the Tigers is something that we're going to discuss. It's, I think they, they have the starting pitching. They have the best lineup in baseball. The fact that Christian Little has struggled coming over from Vandy. This is a guy that's been part of College World Series team, so he knows what to do. But he he looks lost right now coming out of the pen for the Tigers, and Jay Johnson's going to have to make a decision on whether or not to use him or maybe move him into a midweek role. But they let that game get away from him, just like they let a game the previous weekend get away from him. But credit Jay Johnson's team because they bounced back in a big way with the 10-run rule game on Saturday, early Saturday, winning that game 12-2. Like There was like, hey, we lost the first game. We're angry about it. Let's go out here and put a shellacking on. Four runs in the second, one in the third, two in the fifth, two in the sixth, and then three more in the seventh. 16 hits, 12 runs. Woo! And Gavin hit a home run in that game, too. He, he he had himself a, a pretty good weekend at the plate. All the Tigers did, right? Trey Morgan had three hits in that game, the first game on Saturday. Dylan Cruz is having a monster year. Three hits in that game, that early Saturday game as well. And they just getting production from so many different guys. And, you know, Tommy White is another one that had a big bounce-back weekend. And Coach Johnson talked about him getting back on track, so to speak. Spectacular. What a rebound performance. Wasn't surprised. Um, Communicated with him a little bit last night and uh, knew who was going to be showing up today. They just, uh, these guys all positively affect each other and uh, they know how to respond. And that was a legit response by a great competitor and taught me today. Tommy went two for three in the first game on Saturday and then ended up going two for five in the second game. And look, they they just got guys coming out of the woodwork for this team. Once again, they take the series, and we talked about it last week, Dawson. LSU fan wants their team to sweep the competition every time. But they went on the road to open up SEC play and took two or three in College Station against the Texas A&M team that went to the College World Series a year ago. Then they turned back around 
And with the schedule being adjusted because of the storms, makes things a little crazy. You have to play seven hours earlier on Friday. You have to play a doubleheader on Saturday. They lose game one. They bounce back in a big way, win 12-2, 14-5, convincing fashion to take two or three and win yet another SEC series. Yeah, here's where I'm at with this team, and it's probably too early to be saying something like this, but I felt this way in 2021 about Vanderbilt. Um, Throughout the season, I said, look, I don't know who's going to beat that team twice in a tournament situation when they have Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker throwing. I just don't know how you – and I thought really the only path to doing that was you had to beat one or the other – and then beat the third guy or whatever, you know, however that would play out. And I just didn't see, you know, if they were up in an advantage in a regional or a super regional or college world series, I just didn't see how you beat that team. And then Mississippi State did it. Uh, they dominated them. It was weird, too. They fell behind in the college world series championship series, one nothing. They lost 8-2 in the first game. Mississippi State did. Yep. And then they beat them 13-2 and 9-0. Um, so I guess I shouldn't say things like that. But the point is that Vanderbilt team did make it all the way to the college world series finals. Um, and it took a pretty outstanding Mississippi State team to beat them. I just don't know who's going to be able to outscore this LSU team twice in a weekend. Now, they're probably going to lose an SEC series at some point. Uh, the SEC is just too deep, so I think that's, you know, for them to win every single series is possible, but I wouldn't say likely. But when this team gets to postseason play, you know, I guess since it's the pitching that's a little less reliable, you can see it happening more often. Maybe they just get outscored one On day. On the back end is my concern. That's yeah, my only concern yeah. about the team is the back end of the staff is not exactly where it but needs to be. there's going to be so many games where the back end has an eight-run lead to and deal one. with. Like, they can give up four or five Correct. runs, you know? And so that's going to be, <sighs> look, especially with Skeens, like you have a legit top-end guy who is probably one of the three or four best pitchers in the country. So it's just going to be next to impossible to beat this team in tournament in a tournament, in, in the regionals or the super regionals. They have so much hitting. They you have know? so much right. hitting. Right, and, and it... They have guys that are not in the starting lineup that would be everyday players for other SEC teams, most other SEC teams. So um, it's just tough to beat them, and you've, you've seen it now twice. You lose a game in a series. Um, this time you lost the first game in the series, and you blew up in extra innings and gave up you know a million runs in the 10th inning, and you come back and you just score till the cows come home. Like there's just, It's just going to be so difficult and I don't want to get ahead of, you know, they and I know play, LSU fans are already really fired up, but I, I just don't see how you're going to beat this team in tournament play. They also play with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, a little bit of an edge to it, not a cockiness, not like a Tennessee last year kind of arrogance, but there's definitely like, oh, we lost that game? Okay. Like, yeah, and, and I'll leave it with this as we're getting to a break here. Dylan Cruz is one of the best baseball players I've ever watched, and I don't want to overstate that, but I don't know if you can because, like, I, the video game type numbers he's putting up, now, let's give it four or five more SEC series and see where he stands as far as some of the historical things he's doing because, you know, we do know he faced a lot of pretty poor pitching early in the season or what we would expect to be poor pitching. But um, I don't, you know, like even some of the greats at LSU, like Bregman, like you're, he's putting up numbers that Bregman never even considered. You know what he's, I mean? He's it's, trending it's towards Todd Walker territory. And and we're not in the era of the bats that Todd Walker used, and the you know the you know the way that college baseball was at the time. So ball. yeah, it's even that much more impressive now. Of course, the BB core bats have come a long way, but um, it's still you know now home runs are up across college baseball. But that's the other thing too. He's not even really just doing it. It's not like he's a he's not Tommy White in a sense, which Tommy White's still a great hitter overall. But obviously, you expect the power and the home runs there. Like Dylan Cruz can spray the ball to all fields and can just. 
I don't know. It's I don't know how you get the guy out. He's he's hitting over his on base percentage is over six hundred. Good luck trying to get enough outs against this lineup to begin with for a whole series, right? You got Cruz, you got Trey Morgan, Cade Beloso, Gavin Dugas, Tommy White. Like, good luck. <laughs> good luck if they stay healthy. Oh man, uh, it, it, not winning the national championship is going to be a disappointment. Got to take a timeout. We'll talk more about the LSU women and the LSU baseball team with Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio joining us next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Just being able to be disciplined throughout the game. Um, we have uh, five goals. Make sure we focus, execute, leadership, defense, and rebounding. If we do all five things, that's what we cut, we cut nets and we get rings. So being able to dial in on that, um, they put all they did into us. Now it's just time for us to play. So when the ball threw up, we just knew it was time to go. So I think they just prepared us, and then we just executed. LSU All-American Angel Reese talking about the message to the team before they took the court from their coach, Kim Mulkey, who has guided the LSU women to the Final Four for the first time in 15 years after beating Utah on Friday and then taking care of Miami last night. To talk more about what Kim Mulkey has uh, – apparently I'm breaking in a new tongue this morning – what Kim Mulkey has done, as well as the LSU baseball team taking two or three from Arkansas, is our friend from Tiger Rag Radio, Jeff Palermo, joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you, bud? I'm doing well, Raymond. How about yourself? I'm uh, doing great, my friend. All right, let's start with the women back and forth game on Friday against Utah man that was uh, that was whew, that, that was two heavyweights duking it out and then yesterday it was close early but really Alexis Morris and LSU kind of took over in the second half what stood out to you more than anything about the two games in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight for Kim Mulkey's team I think it was the fact that you know obviously this team all year has been led by Angel Reese and Alexis Morris has been the Robin of the team, right? If, um, if Angel Reese is the Batman, but there were other players that stepped up at critical times. Uh, Ladeja Williams having the huge game on Friday. They don't, they don't advance. They don't beat the youths. If she doesn't have the game that she had, especially with Angel Reese in foul trouble. I mean, just in, you know, scoring over 20 points and making some key baskets. And then, uh, Shamaya Smith, the freshman, uh, mm. who's really, you know, the, the she, she's someone that the, their games will go by and she doesn't even play. Uh, but she made a couple of big buckets, I thought, at the end of the first half to give LSU a little bit more of a comfortable lead and make it that much more insurmountable for Miami to come back and win that game. And I think that was, you know, and, and Kim talked about it going into it, that they're just, not a one-person team, that they're more than just Angel Reese 
and I think that was on display. And then, obviously, the defense. What they've done here defensively has been really, really impressive. Uh, I believe the, the amount of points they gave up last night, ESPN said that's the fourth fewest uh, in NCAA women's basketball tournament in the Elite Eight or later. Uh, they shut down a really good Michigan team. Uh, Utah is a team that scores in the 80s. LSU suffocated them. Uh, so I, I think that's that's the big thing. You know, defense, and, and you know this team's always going to rebound with Angel Reese, but uh, they just really bought into defense and then, you know, getting getting some key contributions when you really need them. I, I think those have been the, the, the big things and huge keys here in this run that this team has had. Defense has been stellar. Uh, the other thing that stood out to me about this weekend watching the games, Jeff, was Angel Reese was not dominant, right? And they still found a way to win both games. Where You're right. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and that's was when you have an All-American Player of the Year type of player on your team and she was dominant against Hawaii and Michigan, Utah and Miami had good game plans, plus she just had off-night shooting, yet the Tigers still found a way to win when they're All-American was struggling putting the ball in the basket. But she still put up some big numbers. You know, Correct. I, I mean, for I mean, it's not the 23-15-point uh, kind of games, um, but she, she's still putting up the numbers that you're, you're getting. And, and, that, and, again, I think it just goes back to what I was saying a moment ago is that they're getting some key players to step up. Uh, you know, it was time for Alexis Morris to have a good night offensively. And, and again, she didn't necessarily shoot the ball terrific last night but what did she score 21 22 points that's exactly what they needed last night they needed that she got off to a kind of a a good start while the rest of the team was struggling offensively so uh you know eventually though um yeah and now that you're in the final four here this team's gonna have to shoot the ball better and you know angel reese is gonna have to be uh, you know, a player of the year, you know, player of the year kind of candidate. But uh, it's just nice to see that these other players are stepping up as well. This is year two, Jeff, of the Kim Mulkey era. I thought they were ahead of schedule in year one. I thought they were ahead of schedule this year. Yet here she has this team, a program that was an absolute dumpster fire just a few years ago. She has them two wins away from winning a national championship. How has she done it? transfer portal and she's going to be the first one to tell you that i mean it, it, that's that's really it i mean getting alexis morris out of the transfer portal getting angel reese getting these um role players the the qatari pools yeah the ladasia williams of the world um you know if this was 10 years ago raymond i mean this team would just be still you know just trying to figure out how to get into the NCAA tournament. Are you you surprised, Jeff? Figuring out how to try to get to the second round of the tournament. Are you surprised that a veteran coach like Kim, who's been doing this for decades, was able to adjust as quickly as she has to this transfer portal error like she has? Well, that's the thing. The, The transfer portal, the NIL, has chased away a lot of good older coaches, right? I mean, a lot of coaches have said, you know what, this this really isn't for me. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of, <laughs> but I, I, she looked at it as a as a as a positive, right? I mean, it's uh, th- this was the way that she can go out and and bring in the, the the best talent that she possibly can, and 
I don't think she would have thought that Angel Reese bringing her in, I don't think she ever thought that she would get, you know, 32 straight or whatever, not 32 straight, but 32 double-doubles in a season. I don't think that's what Kim was forecasting for her. Um, But she knew she can be an impact player. I think everybody knew when that was announced that Angel Reese was coming to LSU that that was a – that was a big deal that she was going to be a big time player, but I don't think anybody else. And, you know, being around the team a little bit on the, on the trips that I've gone with on the team to Raymond, it's just, it's an operation that flows so smoothly. Everybody has a role. Everybody has an idea. I mean, you can, you can look as you watch the games. I mean, how, how big her staff is. Uh, it's a pretty big staff that she has. It's almost as big. She she almost has more assistant coaches than she does players. Yeah, no, no, it, it's uh, it's pretty impressive, and uh, they've all had to step up their wardrobe game too here lately. Um, but besides that, uh, they all know what they can do. And I tell you what, you know, the, she talked a lot about it last night. The hiring of Bob Starkey. Yeah, I mean, I think that was that, and I think you're going to see a lot more stories about that this week. Here's a guy that he's been part of all six of LSU's Final Four appearances now. You know, going back to the Sue Gunner, Pokey Chapman, Van Chancellor days when those teams made the the, the Final Four runs in in the mid-2000s. And he had just gotten to Auburn. He just completed his first season there. And, um, you know, Kim was even wondering if if he'd be willing to make the move. And, you know, Bob Starkey's the kind of guy that, you know, he's a man of his word and he gave the Auburn coach, you know, the, the, the commitment that he'd be the, you know, be an assistant there, but he's a really good defensive mind. And I think that's what has, um, what we've seen here in the NCAA tournament. He, he really comes up with some great game plans uh, on how to slow these teams down. And I, I think it's, it's shown very well here in the NCAA tournament. Wrapping up our conversation with Jeff Palermo from the Louisiana Radio Network and co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He joins us here in RP3 and company. I want to shift gears to baseball. Two SEC weekend series in the books. They've won them both, taking two out of three both times. Back end of the pitching staff in particular, the bullpen is a little shaky, but they hit so darn well, I don't think it really matters. What's your impression so far as they've wrapped up not one but two conference series, Jeff? Yeah, they're going to have to figure out how to win some of these close games. And that was kind of a little bit of a concern for me, um, you know, going into conference play, that they had just annihilated everybody in their non-conference portion of the schedule or their schedule leading up to conference play, that none of these guys uh, that they would count on in the bullpen in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning have been tested or have had to – uh, you know, have to throw a key strike at a key time or had to get a key out. You know, they're, they're, these guys, it was, you know, glorified almost like spring training games for these guys when they were pitching with six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 run leads. Uh, it's a little bit different when it's a, it's a close game and you got to go in there and you got to throw strikes and you can't be hitting batters. And, uh, but there's going to be games too where this team just absolutely outslugs you, and that's what you saw on Saturday. Uh, but I, I think probably, and we'll hear a little bit more from Jay Johnson today, and he meets with the media, and then he has his first coaches show. I, I would think try, you know, the, the next step for this 
this team is to, to figure out how to win these one, two, three run games. Uh, they, they can't, you know, that's, that's the thing. And, and you're going to have games like you do on Friday where the other guy is just as good or at least as far as matching what Paul Skeens is doing. And you got to figure out how to win those games late. Um, and your, your pitchers in, in, in particular got to make sure. And there's going to be a lot of questions, too, about how well this team hits left-handed pitching because that seems like, uh, you know, left-handers have slowed them down a, a, a little bit. So that, that's something I think you certainly have to monitor. But still, um, <laughs> they are going to win a lot of games. I mean, they're, they're going to win a lot of games like what we saw on Saturday. Uh, where they just absolutely outslug you, but now you got to you also have to figure out how to win those you know those tight games, and that's that's still a learning process, especially for these guys that you're you're trying to get them settled into the roles in the in the bullpen, and uh, they they were not tested uh, in a non conference, and it's 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 showing here in league play. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your upcoming week, my friend. We'll talk to you on Monday. All right, sounds good, Raymond. Thanks. You have a good week, too. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Something happened over the weekend where Dawson appeared to be living the same sort of life that former LSU star golfer and the man who won the tournament over the weekend in Austin, Texas, Sam Burns does. No, I don't, we might have this misconstrued. I wish I was living that life. I'll tell you that. The man snacked up and got fuel the same way you do, bud. When you see a famous athlete do that and then go out there and dominate. You're burying the lead here, okay? The big point here, and this isn't, you know, we, we don't do free ads or anything, so this is, you know, whatever. This isn't sponsored, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you had never heard of Uncrustables the other day. I did not. I did not know about this, this Uncrustables. Which, okay, like I could see maybe if you were just a sports host and, you know, this was... This was your thing. You were born in a different era. That's fine. I was. But you have a daughter who is of the age that would probably, like every child your daughter's age, would love this creation. That she's, was. She's a big fruit snack kid. But That's maybe she just hasn't been exposed to it because, unfortunately, her father has no clue about it. <laughs> I mean, when. Uncrustables. I had no idea that this was essentially a PB, PB&J 
as like a snack, right? Yeah. Like like a they, yeah, and the, and the, the it's the, like a meat pie, crust. Yeah, but so it's they, filled with peanut it's butter. It's just and jelly. white bread or wheat bread. They have a wheat version of it. They crimp down the edges so that there's no like crust. You just kind of have the best parts of the sandwich. Oh, well, my daughter just, does. My daughter would prefer no crust on that. There you go. I mean, right. and look, and they yeah. and so it started with the PB and J, but it has expanded now. Is the one I had the other day was peanut butter and honey. They've got a Nutella version. Um, they've got all kinds of different flavors. There it is. They're frozen. You take them in the freezer, but you just take it out and you let it thaw, like kind of as you go about your day. So you saw me with it the other day. I brought it in as a snack. Unfortunately, I don't have any more. But. So, so if, if I were, were to buy some of these, yeah. When I wake up in the morning, I take it out of the freezer. It's going to be good to go for my daughter to have as breakfast, or yeah, that. no, it's oh, so. There we go. I mean, well, the day that I had it here, I ate it at what, um, you know, I don't know, it was 7 o'clock, something like that, and I took it out of the freezer at 5, so only within an hour or two. You can eat it frozen as well. Some people don't prefer, I don't prefer to eat it frozen, but you can eat it frozen. There we go. So, D'Lo and Sam Burns are essentially the same person. Uh, They both love the Uncrustables. Congratulations to Sam for the big victory over the weekend. And congratulations to D'Lo being more like Sam Burns. Shout out to him. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Coming up half an hour from right now here on RP3 and Company, Dan McDonald will be joining us to talk all things Raging Cajuns, baseball, softball, and more. And of course, coming up, we're also going to be talking to Ellen Mullen for a great local festival down in New Iberia. That's coming up this weekend. We'll talk about that as well. That's all on deck. And we are broadcasting live here from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. And today, we spent a lot of time talking about the NCAA tournament for both the men and the women. Kim Mulkey's team punches their ticket to the Final Four. First Final Four trip in 15 years for LSU as they're going to be headed to Dallas to start play on Friday. The men's bracket is set as well as we have three teams making their first ever trips to the Final Four. One side of the bracket, Florida Atlantic versus San Diego State. The other side, Miami versus UConn. So we've dove, spent a lot of time this morning talking about the brackets, the tournaments, and even touched on a little college baseball. And we're going to do so again when Dan joins us as we'll talk Raging Cajun baseball. But we brought up something last hour that needs to be addressed. Brought up Crustables, right? Is that what the name of it is again? Uncrustables. Uncrustables. point is not having the crust. There we go. Uncrustables. We brought it up because Sam Burns, the former LSU star golfer, was snacking on those bad boys during his win yesterday over in Austin. Final match play. They're trying to get rid of match play, which is a weird discussion we'll have for another day. I don't understand that. It's like one tournament a year. What's the big deal? Like I just like 
why get rid of it? The, the golfers I think it's love cool. it. It's, an, it's a change up. It's a different approach. It's one tournament a year. I mean, it's not like they're playing match play every week. No, I know. So Sam wins, and during the round of play, the couple of rounds of play, he was snacking on the Uncrustables. And my guy D'Lo, I was like, oh, look! Because D'Lo was snacking on these a couple weeks back. And I had never heard about them. And we dove into that at the last hour. Got an update here for you. You said, hey, you can understand why I'm not aware of them, but why don't we have them in the household? Because I have an eight-year-old daughter. Here's the update. From the wife, courtesy of Tina Parch, the better half of RP3. Our daughter hates jelly. I actually have recommended them before when we were shopping together, and she said she was not having any part of it. So the reason why RP3 does not know about the Uncrustables that D'Lo loves and Sam Burns loves is because HP1, Hattie Lee's Parch, says, no, no, get that stuff out of the basket. Okay, I'll have a rebuttal to that. Does she? How does she feel about Nutella? Oof. It's a good question. Man, what, come on. Question. We got we to be updated on the <laughs> snack choices here, huh? I, I told you. It's fruit snacks and fruits. Well. Like, like we try to be healthy in, in the parts household. I know it doesn't look that way because I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one. And I take up a lot of space, oh, even you, though look, the weight loss. Peyton in the 5K. Come on. Right, that's right. I've been, we did training over the weekend, by the way. I, I did as well. Uh, I did about two and a half miles of walking, jogging while wearing five-pound ankle weights. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> I felt it on Sunday. It's funny you say that because I had a friend who's still a very good friend of mine who went through a phase in high school where he wore ankle weights to school every day to try and get faster. And everybody mm-hmm. was like, what's the deal with the ankle weights? And he's like, I'm going to get faster, man. And he never got faster. But <laughs> he wore ankle weights for like six months to school just every day, just walking around class with ankle weights on. Oh, so, yes, we, we, we did some training for the 5K over over the weekend, yes, and I keep losing weight. So, But, uh, yeah, so the kid is not. So, But you do say there's other flavors that don't have jelly inside of them. Well, the one I had the other day was just peanut butter and honey. There so we go. That's, that one doesn't have jelly. And then, again, they have a Nutella one that I've seen. Um, and I think they just have a plain peanut butter as well. So, oh, see, there we um, go. See, there we go. Yeah, now there's we, options. Now we're now but, we're I mean, cooking. look, I, it's not like I won't be heartbroken one way or the other if, if, if she doesn't like them. But. They're in, they're incredible, and you know I remember as a kid like I we never got them because they were on the pricier side, and they've you know, been around that long. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. When I was a kid, uh-huh. I I think they came out. I remember the kind of like the but I don't know if that's because they came out or if that's just because they got popular. But um, I remember no, I mean, and I remember a couple of birthday parties I went to where that was being handed out, and we were like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> Because again, I was like, it was a special treat if I got them because they were okay. they were they were a little pricey and you know. See, so. so see, I missed out on this because I'm 44, but you're the same age as Sam Burns, right? So roughly, r- roughly. Unfortunately, so. he's accomplished a lot more than I have to this point. But I mean, there's only uh, of the two of you, there's only one who's the producer extraordinaire, and it's not That's Sam. True. Yeah. So sorry, Mr. Burns. Sorry, but yeah, you just won three and a half million dollars for winning the match play, but. Are you the producer extraordinaire for RP3 and company? No, you're not. Right. So, right. sorry. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. We're going to have to check this out now. You're going to, have to, you're going to well, motivate me to expose my daughter to it. She says, uh, my wife says, we will get a few and have a video tasting for his pleasure. There you go. Because last year, um, 
we did uh, a couple of videos, Hattie's amazing videos that my daughter likes to do, blind taste testing for Halloween candy. It was interesting. Uh, when she got a piece of candy corn in her mouth, she spit it out. <laughs> so that's how that worked. Oh, poll question of the day. It's about basketball. And Dawson came up with it because, you know, he loves the Pelicans and he loves to believe in the Pelicans. He believes that they're the Pelicans and not the Pelicans. Do you think the Pelicans are now back on track to make a playoff run? That's our poll question of the day. Right now, 43% of you are not positive like Dawson. You don't you don't have that ray of sunshine like D'Lo does. 43% of you say no. 31% of you say yes. 26% say you're just ready for baseball. I'm ready for some baseball. By the way, the season for Major League Baseball begins this week. Just to let you know. Thursday night, Astros yeah. are going to begin their the title defense on Thursday night. Yeah, that crept up on you in a hurry, didn't it? Crossover season, baby. Crossover season. Woo! Let's get to some comments here on the poll question. Yeah, they'll make it in. Then all of a sudden, Zion will be back and they will win the first round. Got to keep the faith. Robert Duplachan is positive. This man is ready to go. He believes in the Pelicans. They're going to get in, and then they're going to win. Not only are going to win the play-in tournament, Dawson, they're going to win the first-round matchup. What do you think about that? Well, here's the thing. The path, and again, that's why it's it's funny. Like, I mean, we have to talk about it every day because it's a daily show, but it's like, really, you should just do this weekly because the path change. Everything changes. Like, again, a week ago today, we were sitting there going – Oh, uh, I don't know. You got a couple games you should win, but then you got to play. You know, they were twelfth. <laughs> you got yeah. Then you got to play on the road. You haven't won any road. You got to play the good a Clippers team that's pretty good on the road, and then you know Portland still got Dame. And now you beat everyone you played that last week. You crushed the Clippers on the road. Portland's resting everybody. They're playing a bunch of G League guys right now, and you're in you know in eighth place, a half game back of seventh. And by the way, a half game back of seventh, only one game back of sixth. And only a game and a half back of fifth. I mean, like, it's not unrealistic. And and only two games back of fourth. Like, the Pelicans could literally finish fourth in the Western Conference without, like, it, and I'm not, it's not sitting here going, well, if the stars align and, you know, an, a meteor strikes Earth, maybe they could finish fourth. Like, they could finish fourth if they just play pretty well and a couple of things happen with the Suns losing some games. Like, it's insane to think. Now, on the same token, they could still finish 12th. Yeah, that's possible. So, Let's see, but Trey Murphy looked like prime Steph Curry last night. Oh, no. Uh, or a couple nights ago. I lose track of the days. Um, he went 10 for 12 from three. Brandon Ingram's playing like an MVP right now. It's just, it's it's strange because, again, they're just as likely to look awful tomorrow night. Or tonight, actually, because they'll play Portland tonight. But all of a sudden, there's a glimmer. There's light at the end of the tunnel again. It's it's crazy. If you It's like the weather in Louisiana. If you don't like it, just wait a few minutes. If you don't like the way the Pelicans are playing, just wait a few minutes. They'll play the other way. I promise. You just said that Trey Murphy looked like For one night, yes, he did. He did. Steph Curry. You can't deny that. And then you said Brandon Ingram's playing like an MVP. He is. Right now. I'm not talking season long. I'm just giving you a snapshot of what happened the other night. Did you see what Trey Murphy did the other night? I, I did. We're not talking about a game where he hit a couple of threes and got hot. We're talking about a game against, again, a team that's competing in the Western Conference where Trey Murphy went 11 for 14 from the field, 10 of 12 from three-point range, and scored 32 points. The Pelicans as a team shot 62% from three. 
They shot 8% better from three than they did from two. It was a phenomenal performance. And that's all I said. I didn't say he was prime Steph Curry. I said he looked like prime Steph Curry the other night. That's that's fair. That's fair. I and just... again, I haven't been the... I'm not Ali Kassel. I don't bring you the <laughs> eternal optimism. I've told you when it was time to panic. So if it's so if I'm if I'm a little cheerful on a Monday morning, why do we have to tear it down? Not hey, whoa, 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 whoa. No, not directed at you. Not directed at not you. Not tearing it's it okay. down. Not yeah. tearing it down. Yeah, no, it's okay. I just I've learned with the Pelicans that it's better oh, I, to be that's why I said. even keel with them because it's like the weather. Just wait, wait some time. It'll <laughs> because, change. What because we, this we is had, the same team that lost to the Rockets. No, this weekend. What do we had? Sunny, sunny, clear skies, eighty-five degrees on Saturday, and, and it was raining all day Sunday. So it's that's how the Pelicans play. They'll play like a sunny day, and then they'll play like a catastrophic hurricane the next day. <laughs> that's that's a good way of describing them. <laughs> Chaotic. Over on Facebook, Edward says on our poll question of the day, it's baseball season. That's right. Thursday, Astros open up the season against the Chicago White Sox. And you'll be able to listen to that game over on our sister station, News Talk. Pre-game 530, first pitch 608. Brian Guidry just simply gives a very efficient comment, which I'm down for. He just says, yeppers. My man's down. He says, yes, yeppers. Let's go. Let's go. And yes, Kevin, the Celtics lost to the Rockets too. See, you got you got foot on board for the Pelicans, not the Pelicans. He said, hey, the Celtics lost to the Rock- Rockets too. Maybe Kevin should worry about driving and not texting while driving. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Just saying. And maybe you know, my man struggles in traffic as it is. I'm sure we'll get a text here in about 20 minutes, him forgetting to take university and stuck in traffic on the I-49, uh, I-10 exchange, which has become a, a bit of a tradition for our boy, Footsie. <laughs> Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on, Brett. Brett, I only got about a minute to spare, bud, but it's yours. What's on your mind? Hey, okay, I just called to ask you, are you in charge of Kim Walker's wardrobe? And uh, did uh, Florida Atlantic used to be in the Sun Belt, or did I dream that? No, no. You're, uh, I uh, First of all, I'm not in charge of Kim's wardrobe, even though I do approve of her rating the late, great Macho Man Randy Savage's uh, wardrobe for the outfit she wore on Friday against Utah. Uh, as for Florida Atlantic, yes, they used to be a former member of the Sun Belt Conference. Okay, that's all I needed, man. Y'all have a good show. Thanks. You too, brother. My man, uh, Kim went full wrestler. Like that outfit, someone did a side by side who wore it better, Kim Mulkey or Macho Man? It was majestic. Like, you know how confident you got to be? You know how much you don't, how you have to be, I don't give a crap to wear something like that? Well, I've heard a lot of people complaining about the suits where, you know, college basketball for a long time suits were a thing, and then when COVID and all of a sudden it was just sweatpants and T-shirts for coaches if they wanted to, and people like, oh, you know, coaches used to get all dressed up. Well, Kim, take some time to think about her wardrobe. So if, if you're one of those people who's upset that not everybody wears suits anymore, then maybe appreciate some of the more, uh, you know, time taken out of your day to plan out your outfits, which I guess she said she actually has a stylist that handles she most has of the some, stuff. She so, has yeah. somebody that makes all her outfits for her, right? You know, Kim's not putting that together by herself. She's not in the in the back in some off time stitching up something for her outfit. She's paying someone to do that, 
and she has the confidence to roll out wearing the stuff that she wears. Look, she's a treasure. Let's just say it. She's a treasure. And you know what? College basketball needs her, and LSU definitely needs her. Because that woman's got personality to spare in a good way. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Ellen Mullen will join us. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll try to share them with you before we sign off on today's show. Look, we all know living in Acadiana, living in southwest Louisiana, there's always some sort of great event going on about our culture, about our music, about our food. And our next guest is going to talk about one of those great events. Books Along the Tesh Literary Festival returns there in New Iberia. It's the hometown of Dave Robichaux. The seventh annual festival comes back this week, starts March 31st, runs through April 1st and the 2nd. It is one of the better festivals that we put on here in southwest Louisiana. And to tell us all about it is one of the co-coordinators of the Books Along the Tesh Literary Festival. Ellen Mullen joins us now. Miss Ellen, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing great. Look, I love this festival. I've actually covered it years ago when I worked at the Daily Iberian, so I'm familiar with it. I've attended it just as a resident as well. Just tell me a little bit about how this festival came to be, the, the history behind it, the genesis behind the books along the Tesh Literary Festival. Yes, well, uh, like you said, this is our seventh annual, and um, the initial festival was kind of focused more on James Lee Burke and Dave Roby Show, but we've kind of broadened it out to include more of our great Southern writers, and uh, we still feature a lot of events that cover James Lee Burke and cover uh, Dave Roby Show and the haunts and jaunts that he has uh mentioned about Dave in his books, but um, we also have other food, uh, music, and great uh, authors who are going to be here for the festival. It's such a, a great event, and it's grown so much over over the last uh, you know few years for sure, and you guys have really kind of expanded it. You know, the, the thing that stands out to me, and I know it's the focus of the festival, Ellen, is, you know, you guys put the focus on great Southern-based writers and writers that are based or write about Louisiana culture. 
it is, uh, you know, and that's so specific, but yet I think it's also what helps make the festival so great. Yes, yes. Well, what we try to do is um, make it more, I mean, it's a literary festival, but it's also a cultural festival. So we really want to showcase our South Louisiana Cajun culture. And in doing so, we um, we do have uh, our great Southern writer this year, Lisa Wingate, um, who has written over 30 novels and uh, has two New York Times bestsellers. And the book that we're kind of featuring this year is called The Book of Lost Friends because it, um, it focuses on Louisiana, and it actually is a historical novel that uh, also kind of features post-Civil War history, which makes it very interesting for this area. Well, it makes it fascinating for this area. And obviously, uh, Miss Lisa is going to be there. She's the featured uh, writer. What are some of the other things that are going to be part of this festival that people that, let, let's say they've never attended the Books Along the Tesh Literary Festival, what can they expect in addition to hearing from Lisa and, and maybe getting to meet and see and maybe hear some of these great authors read some of their passages? What are some of the other things that make this festival so unique? Well, we have lots of presenters on Friday. We have um, the history of Bunk Johnson, who was a uh, brass band player who um, resided in New Iberia. So we're going to talk about the history of, of Bunk Johnson. We also have Barry Ancelet talking about the sounds of Iberia Parish, and he's going to talk about um, Lomax, which was a group that came and, and looked at the history of Cajun music. Uh, that's going to be fascinating. We've got two authors coming all the way from North Carolina, a mother-daughter team that is going to be talking about Jean Lafitte the Pirate. Their book's uh, called Jean Lafitte Revealed. And they're going to be talking about um, kind of the history of Jean Lafitte. Uh, we also have Father Mark Toops, who is a priest uh, in Grand Isle, but he has written several books, and he is going to be talking about the Bible and how uh, basically the kind of um, historical and theological integrity of the Bible, like how we know that the words in the Bible were actual, the actual words that Jesus spoke. Um, I think that's going to be fascinating. Uh, he's going to be at the Slime and Theater at 1130 on Friday. Uh, we've got our classic Dave's Haunts and Johns bus tour, which starts off at Victor's Cafeteria on Friday and uh, goes and shows all the places that Dave Robichaux in James Lee Burke's books uh, where he kind of hung out and, and all the places that are mentioned in his book. That's always a favorite of lots of people. Um, this year we're also doing what's called a writer's track, and that is where we're trying to um, promote more, more people to write more books. And so anybody that's interested in writing, whether you're a novice or if you've been writing for years, uh, we've got something that may appeal to you. We've got uh, L.E.H., who um, is in charge of writing 64 Parishes magazine. They are sending four of their best authors to come and teach how to write for a magazine. That'll be Friday afternoon at 145. Then we have another lady from uh, Mississippi, Mary Beth McGee, coming and talking about how to add more creativity to your writing. 
Then we have a former poet laureate who is now our director of the shadows, uh, John um, W. Smith, who is going to be talking about uh, reading some of his poetry. Uh, then lastly, on that writer's track, we have How to Write and Publish a Book, which is going to be by Chris Warner at the Shadows Visitor Center at 445 Friday afternoon. So we've got lots. That's just Friday. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great event, multiple days. Look, if, if you're anyone that's an aspiring writer or if you just appreciate great literature and the arts uh, in an amazing setting there, in New Iberia, I definitely recommend to go check this out. Ellen, before I let you go, tell the people where they can go to get more information about this event. Yes, you can go to www.booksalongthetashliterayfestival.com and uh, buy your tickets. Lots of the uh, other events that I mentioned today are free. And I didn't even get to Saturday, so uh, we've got a, a podcast and brunch at Preservation. We've got a Jazz It Up opening reception. We've got our Cajun Fado Doe. It just goes on and on. And, uh, of course, our great Southern writer, and we also have Ted Jackson, who's going to be speaking. Um, we've got Marcel B. Avenue coming and doing a seafood demonstration. Uh, like I said, I could go on and on, but you can see it all on the website. Uh, Sunday, we'll also be having our Symphony Sunday in the park. We're going to have a boat tour and a bike tour on Sunday. So uh, it goes through the whole weekend, and we hope that lots of you go to our website and uh, buy tickets or come to our free events. We're going to have authors. We have over 60 authors up and down Main Street and in the George Rodriguez Park, who are going to be uh, showcasing their books. And so it's going to be lots going on, and we just hope everyone comes out and supports us. Ellen, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Best of luck with the festival. Can't wait to go check it out myself. Thank you so much, and hope you have a great festival this year. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Raging Cajuns baseball team went into Mobile over the weekend. And, well, they went to Stanky Field, which is usually a pretty tough place to play. Well, the Cajuns said, well, yeah, maybe so. They dropped the first game, right, 12-11. to 11. And you're thinking, uh-oh, Cajuns may be in some trouble here. South Alabama's always usually always pretty good in baseball. This is a great rivalry. Well, Matt Dex's team just went out there and then just decided to uh, crush their faces 22 to 5 and then 10 to 6 in the next two games. <laughs> Boy, this team can hit. This team can hit like a monster. To talk more about the Raging Cages baseball team, softball team, as well as our good friend, the man who is the play by play announcer for ESPN Plus broadcast of Raging Cajun Athletics and the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Dan McDonald, joins us now. Dan, good morning to you, brother. How are you? 
I'm doing well. Got time for me to rant my 30 seconds about the NCAA basketball before we start? I, I, or have I, you already done that? I, 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 I want to hear about your rant, by all means. I have no idea where you're going with this. Go on. Well, I'm just figured I'd wait till the banks open today because, you know, CBS is trying to cancel all its checks that it paid for royalties for the NCAA tournament because I don't think they expected Florida Atlantic and San Diego State to be playing for a berth in the national championship game. So I'm re- I'm sure they're ready to cancel all their deals because I think they're in for like awful ratings. You know the big schools won't push through the uh, transfer portal. Hey, hey, be careful what you ask for. Well, and and, and, look. and then then I watched you know with LSU can in Miami, and that was almost unwatchable. Fortunately, the last game of the night, I don't know if people stayed up to watch Caitlin Clark of Iowa because she's special. She is a generational talent. She saved my basketball viewing for me yesterday. <laughs> yes, she is special. She had uh, quite a historic matchup, and can't wait to see. More than likely, it'll probably be South Carolina, Iowa versus South Carolina, and one semifinal in Dallas, and the other one. LSU versus the winner of Vitek or Ohio State. That's going to be interesting. All right, Dan, let's talk about this Raging Cajuns baseball team. This weekend, taking two or three and doing so by scoring a ton of runs. What does this tell you about the Raging Cajun baseball team, or does this tell you a little bit more about South Alabama and where they are right now? Well, one, it says that South Alabama's not nearly as good as they've been uh, on the on the bump as they've been in the past. They've always had guys, you know, they've always had competent starters, but they've always had guys at the end of games that can close out games most of the time. They don't have that this year. Uh, I mean, they've got a couple guys that are pretty good, but they're giving up a lot of runs, and when, you know, when they don't do that, I don't think they have enough offensive punch to keep up. Uh, they have some home runs, but I don't think one through nine, they're as solid in the lineup as they've been in the past. Um, on the other side, I think this Cajun team, you know, they're doing all this hit and they're scoring all these runs, and they're doing it with a couple of mainstays who are not really there yet. I mean, we know that Max Marshock's going to hit before it's all over with, but, you know, he's not producing the way he has been in the past. You know, Matt Deggs is still have, has him in the lineup, and justifiably so, because he knows the potential. But, you know, Carson Rockefeller is starting to get back to showing what he's, you know, what he did last year. But, you know, the rest of this bunch, and even a lot of guys coming off the bench, you know, they're starting to sort of have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of look like that 2014 team that Deggs was the hitting coach. Uh, the the pack mentality, you know, it may not be back, but it's bubbling under the surface a little bit. Are you surprised that some of the guys you mentioned, one of them really hasn't got going yet with the bat? I mean, it is still only late March, but we've already, you know, knocked out a couple of conference series. How much longer before you start getting a little bit worried that some of those bats aren't going to heat up? Well, you don't have to be as quite as worried because you got a whole lot of other guys doing it. But I'm, they're going to be there. I mean, Marshak's still dangerous, and he is so valuable as a defensive guy at third base now. He's proved what he can do there. And, you know, he's going to be in the lineup, and he's going to hit. He's going to get on base. He's going to steal bases. Uh, I don't have as much worry about that. C.J. Willis, you know, he's been hurt. Uh, he's been having back issues and so forth. He's, he's, you know, there's a there's a legitimate reason maybe he's not swinging it as good as he has been in the past. But you know, I'm I'm not. 
I, I'd hate to say, but I'm not real worried about any facet of this team right now. I think they're just as good as anybody in the Sun Belt because you know they they've already shown they can hit. They play pretty good defense. They've only got 20 errors through what is it 24 games now, uh, and. You know, in the pitching, I think I, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at the way their starters have performed. You know, for, for the most part, you're still going to have off days, but for the most part, I'm shocked at the way the starters have performed. The guys who are in roles to come in and and set things up, and except for a couple of outings, guys at the end of the games have done what they needed to do. The lineup is filthy. They can rake with the best of them. I mean, if they get in a home run derby or a hitting contest, I think they're going to be fine. What's the one thing that gives you pause about the Raging Cajuns baseball team as it stands right now? Great start to the season, right? Uh, excellent start to the season. But is there anything that still gives you a little pause, maybe uh, pitching back in? Well, what is it? I'm still not sure that they've got that – that solid back end. I mean, Blake Marshall's been effective a lot of times. Some of the times he struggles to find the zone. That happened in the uh, the Friday night game in Mobile. Uh, that's you know, if he becomes consistent and he stays in that role as that left-handed guy who comes in to get those last five or six outs, uh, I don't think they have a whole lot of worries. I mean, that and maybe that sounds too Pollyannish, but. You know that's the only area I can see, and and you know that's probably not rare in, in or not unusual in college baseball. I mean, how many people have solid closures? Not a whole lot. Um, I I still think they they can piece this together and be very good. You know, even at the end of games, you know, it may not be one guy, and maybe two or three different guys sort of piecing it together. That's sort of been Deggs's mo for a couple of years. We're talking with Dan McDonald, Raging Cajuns ESPN Plus play-by-play man. Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, let's, after having back-to-back five-game weeks, Matt Deggs' team gets to have the midweek off and gets to just gear up for a series against App State this weekend at the Teague. What do we know about the Mountaineers? Well, we, we know their record's better than it's been in the past. Um, they, uh, you know, They'll finally be coming down here to play. I don't think they've played down here in a long, long time. But, uh, I mean, seems that way anyway with COVID and so forth. Uh, you know, they're going to be solid. I don't think, you know, they they don't hit like, you know, like this Cajun team does. But it looks like just from looking at the numbers, they've been able to piece things together uh, pretty well. Um, you know, and – you know, you talk about the week off, you know, that that's kind of a double-edged sword. If if you know Matt Deggs, you know he'd prefer to play seven days a week if he could. Uh, you know, this this week's going to help as far as letting them get caught up, letting them get their, their feet back under them, let them get back in the classroom. He made sure to mention that. And let some of the people that are running around with, you know, nagging hurts sort of sort of get back to where they are. But, you know, when you when you talk about, App State, I think you're talking about, you know, usually an unknown quantity. Um, you know, I was just, I was looking at them just a little bit last night. You know, their seven, their, uh, their records, you know, not bad. Um, and they play a midweek game. They play a game before they come here. So, uh, they're, they're really an unknown thing, I think. I think they'll probably figure it out sometime during the week, but I don't think that they even looked at App State before. You know, maybe before today, I think they've been so busy the last couple of weeks that, 
you know, they've been playing, you know, 10 games in 13 days. That's a, it's a lot for these guys. Dan, the softball team had its schedule affected like most college baseball and softball teams over the weekend due to the storm system. And they had to play a doubleheader on Saturday against App State there at Lampson Park. And they won the series two games. They took two out of three, but they did drop the the finale five to three. What are your thoughts on what you see from Jerry Glasgow's team as we wrap up the month of March? Well, I think the second game on Saturday was one of those that you know, you're going to fall into that trap every once in a while. They got behind three to nothing, only three batters into the game. Uh, you know, somebody caught up with a fastball and took it out of the ballpark. Uh, and then at the end, you know, it's three to three, and you're thinking, oh, they're going to, you know, they're going to come back and they're going to win it here in this final inning. But you know, they didn't push off across a couple of runs when they had the opportunities to, and and then you know, uncharacteristically, you know, two errors. You know, they didn't give up a, they gave up only one hit in that last inning, but uh, App State's able to score two runs and. You know, they should have been out of the inning. A ground ball got kicked. A fly ball basically got misplayed. And, you know, suddenly it's 5-3 to three and they didn't have any, you know, couldn't respond in the bottom of the inning. That's going to happen. You know, you know, no, nobody's going to go unbeaten. You know, softball's a lot like baseball. Uh, maybe not quite as much. But, you know, there's a, you know you're going to have games like that. Now, they're, what they have to do now is they have to respond. They've got to go back and keep winning all these series. If you keep winning two out of three all the time, you'll be in good shape. They're going to have some series. They're going to sweep. But, you know, they just need to keep, you know, that two out of three mentality, I think, is is the way for them to go. Uh, and if they do that, you know, does it – will it win the league for them? Yeah. Will it hurt their chances? If, if they want to get the NCAA tournament, host a regional, be in a position to, you know, maybe even host a super regional. I don't know if they can get that high in the RPI. But, you know, to host a regional, you know, they've got to mix a bunch of sweeps in there because the Sun Belt, a lot of times Sun Belt teams, it's going to hurt them RPI-wise. Not as much as in the past, but it'll still hurt them RPI-wise if they, I say, only take two out of three. We'll listen to how spoiled we are. But, uh, but yeah, they've, they've, they've got to finish. They, they've got to win all these series, and they've got to sweep when they get the opportunity. Could losing a game in conference play like like they did, could that be a good thing? Could Jerry turn that into, you know, something else to just make his team just even be more focused heading uh, down the home stretch, so to speak, the last month and a half of the season? Uh, you know, possibly. I, I'm not sure because I think if you if you lose a game and you get outplayed, maybe that <clears throat> maybe that's a little bit of a wake up call. They didn't get outplayed in that second game yesterday. You know, they got, you know, one ball out of the ballpark. And then they made a couple mistakes at the end. Uh, that was the whole difference in the game. You know, anybody who watched the series, you know, knew knew what was going on. Um, you know, I, will it? Yeah, it could. It depends on how they approach it. But you know, they'll they'll still. I mean, they know what they have to do. Jerry Glasgow knows what he has to do. I mean, his team's got to you know win. You know, go through conference play and maybe only lose two or three. Uh, if they want to end up hosting a regional and so forth, I mean, and that's the goal. You know, the the conference championship, yeah, oh, that's that's great because that locks you in. But they're going to get in the NCAA tournament anyway. They want to go the rest of this conference season and only lose, you know, two or three games. And if they do that, they've got a, a pretty good shot to make that happen. Dan, appreciate your time as always, brother. Thank you for that. Enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. 
I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guests for helping us kick off this exciting and busy week in sports. Jeff Plarmo from Tiger Rag Radio. I want to thank Ellen Mullen from the books along the Tesh Literary Festival and Dan McDonald, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and ESPN Plus play-by-play man for Raging Cajun Athletics. We touched on a slew of topics, including the uh, dietary habits of D'Lo, which goes right in, law, uh, in line with Sam Burns, who just won a huge tournament on the PGA Tour. So they're uh, essentially the same person, really. That's what it boils down to, if we're just being honest here. Poll question of the day. We asked you, are the Pels back on track? D'Lo's a believer. Kevin Foote's a believer. Are you a believer? Do you think the Pels are now back on track to make a playoff run after winning four straight games? 43% of you are being negative Nancys. Say no. 31% of you are positive Patties and say yes. 26% of you don't care. You're just ready for baseball, which, by the way, MLB season is Thursday. That's right. Outstanding. Thanks to all who voted. Thanks to all who left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you making us part of your morning commute to work or school. Good show. Covered a lot of things. NCAA tournament for both the men and the women. Of course, LSU has punched their ticket to the Final Four. We'll find out the other two teams in the Final Four on the women's side that will join LSU and Iowa. South Carolina, Maryland, they'll tip off. Virginia Tech versus Ohio State in the other game. Those will be tonight. Men's tournament is already set for the Final Four down in Houston. San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, making their first appearances in the Final Four ever. They'll face off on one side of the bracket. The other side of the bracket, Miami making its first appearance in the Final Four, taking on UConn. No top three seeds at all made the NCAA tournament. That's the first time that's happened since 1970. So it's been a minute. Woo! College baseball this week. Great conference series. Final Fours. Golf. What's not to love? What's not to love? For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo. Got the fresh cut, by the way. Just saying. I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. <laughs>